everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today we're inviting you for another journal club. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. everybody welcome welcome to journal club journal club journal club it's journal club time i didn't mean to sing i really didn't i'm mm. sorry keeping it oh <laughs> 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 uh, i promise not to make a journal club song as much as the fun super fact song anyways it's journal club <laughs> we are back with another edition of our journal club where basically we found a cool article I don't know, when it came out, we were all super excited about it, and then we slotted it in for our May episode, and it was very densely scientific, but also very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this month, uh, the three of us read a really interesting article, which you may have guessed if you've been paying attention to the cetacean worlds um, in the last three months it is the type d killer whale genome let genomes reveal long-term small population size and low genetic diversity the title is as long and dense as the paper <laughs> yeah. yes yes very dense paper very dense paper and we're not going to pretend to understand all of the genetics no but no, no, we'll no. do our best to summarize so that maybe you can either at least read the abstract and get something out of it, or maybe read some future studies or information that comes out about type D killer whale genomes. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to jump the shark just mm. a little bit to say that my very favorite part of the article, though it is a great article, uh, was my my little, uh, I felt that the author felt the way we feel. Yes, mm. me too, I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> that all killer whales are still considered the, part of the species. It's the first line of the introduction. It's so yeah. <laughs> they fully, fully call out yeah. the, the uh, committee it's, on taxonomy. Can, yeah, no, I wrote yeah. my my like one out of two notes is the committee on taxonomy is who we need to talk to. Yes, yes. now we to know. get this and sorted I love out. It. So that's, I, that's, that's, I know that we're not at what is our favorite part yet, but mm -hmm. I just, I needed to start there. I needed to start with the fact that the author, Andrew Foote, or Foote, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. I'm going to go with Foote. It feels very similarly to all of us and has the ability that we do not have, although we call out the Committee on Taxonomy regularly on our podcast. Um, I don't think that they are listening. Probably but, not anymore. Uh, <laughs> Maybe not. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. But Andrew Foote calls it out in the first line of this mm. paper. So kudos, kudos, not just for your incredible understanding of genetics, but also your ballsiness to call out the <laughs> Committee for Taxonomy, as we've been trying to do for a long time. Yes. <laughs> Which leads me to a little bit about the author, Andrew Foote. Uh, this person, who I am going to make the assumption goes by he pronouns based on some of the work that I've seen and some of his work or some of his postings, is working for the Department of Natural History at NTNU University, the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in, guess what, Norway. <laughs> Sweden. <laughs> in in Trondheim, Norway. And uh, Andrew Foote is, I actually, I should have checked whether he is a doctor or not. I don't. It does. There we go. Got it. Um, at the Universite Bern. 
which is a website in a language I don't speak, but looks very nor Scandinavian. There we go. Okay. Uh, so Dr. Foot is very, very clearly a big fan of genetics. If you do a quick look for his published works, of which there are quite a few. Well, over... a bunch of them are referenced in the, his own paper, yes, which I know yes, you're allowed to do, but yeah. No, you're yes. allowed to. I know yeah, you are. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, that's how that's how you can tell that he's, yes, he's the, a fan. the go-to yes. person for yeah. Killer Whale clearly... and probably Odontosy. <laughs> Yeah. genetics yeah. his little it is clearly his, his little bio says i'm an evolutionary ecologist with a particular interest in ecological speciation oh good call we would love to have you on the podcast he's Dr. gonna Fred. save the day he's this guy is gonna get what we're all looking for indeed i think he's working on it he's working on it he's building a body of evidence yeah absolutely his he's body a, of evidence includes over 108 published works oh, wow most of which from a quick look here are cetacean based and genetics based mm. so this is the dude this is him <laughs> nice. he's gonna get this done gonna bring his bulletin board and his string into the <laughs> committee on taxonomy and we're gonna we're gonna get some answers <laughs> i love it amazing uh, okay so in case you haven't guessed the basic question of the study look it wasn't really it's a question we've all had for mm. ever so it wasn't really like i have a th- hypothesis i'm gonna go out and do this it is we found some type d killer whales and we're able to get genetic samples from it let's do this thing that we've been trying to do since we discovered that type d killer whales exist Mm -hmm. and also that dna exists um so that's that's the basic question of the study is let's look at this yeah and yeah so that's what they did they found some three type d killer whales off the coast of chile in 2019 which shows you how long papers take to write (laughs) i know that covid probably had a lot to do with it but still we've been waiting for this because it was January 2019, because everybody was super excited about it when it happened. And then we just sat mm. and waited. Anyway, now it's here. And yeah, so they looked at the three uh, DNA samples that they got. They also compared it to uh, the DNA sample of some strandings in New Zealand from 1955. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all the DNA samples that we have right now of type D killer whales. And yeah, yeah, that was the question. Basically, they were also looking at, they narrowed down the genomic analysis of vote. Speciation is a thing that we've all been talking about, um, but also inbreeding and population levels, population modeling for the type Ds because they are a low population out of the five ecotypes in Antarctica. And also in general, they're on the lower side of population numbers for ecotypes of the killer whales all around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about like how they did the genetic sampling and stats and stuff in a very vague. Yeah, that was my that was my second note. I was I skipped the method because I prefer my DNA analysis to be told to me by Greg Sanders. Yeah, <laughs> CSI style. Um, yeah, so basically they did extraction of DNA from the live animals off the coast of Chile or somewhere near Chile and then from the um from one individual only from the museum specimen um and one thing I do like is they sort of call out that they initially did the sampling of the museum study um 
sort of without the guidance and permission from the Maori people of New Zealand mm. of yeah, Aotearoa. So great. and then called that out of like we should have because the Maori people um, have sovereignty over the like the treasured species or taonga and the natural environment of Aotearoa, and so like they should have consulted with the like people who are responsible for these um these samples and so they at least now know better and have um consulted with them prior to the publication of this and also the abstract is translated into maori so that's very cool very cool i was very confused at first (laughs) yes Yes, me too too. Because I don't read Maori, and I knew that it was a Scandinavian researcher, and and I was reading it on my phone with a lot of sun glare, (laughs) and so I kind of thought, like, did I accidentally click and translate this into a Scandinavian language? And then I figured it out, and I was like, this is so cool! Yeah, Yeah, mine was... When I sent this to you, when mm. it came out, I was like, it's a free article. And then when I sent it to you three days ago, I was like, oh, no, is it not free anymore? <laughs> is this some kind of warning? <laughs> it's yeah. fine. No. It is a free article. Hooray. Very, very cool. So they did a bunch of different types of genetic analysis of these four individuals. So they did matrilineal studies of the three individuals, um, which makes sense because you can look at mRNA and sort of understand at least the, the matrilineal evolution and especially in species that are strongly matrilineal this makes a lot of sense because for example i'm gonna just throw the result in for this part they discovered that the three individuals that they found off of chile were related quite likely a mother and two sisters um her daughters her daughters daughters. yeah Yeah. her yeah her two full full sibling daughters they think i mean it's hard to know for sure but that's what they think and then also they were able to see like some close-ish but not that close um relationship between the individual from the 50s from New Zealand and these Chilean individuals which helps um sort of because of the time difference between them they're not actually going to be that closely related so it it sort of added more evidence to the small population small genetic sample of this population um so they also did some studies uh to sort of compare type D carola whales to um, some sort of morphologically similar individuals such as long-finned pilot whales from a nearby, like also from the Antarctic area, um, which is like only 1,200 kilometers from where they found the uh, Chilean killer whales, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were able to do some genetic analysis of that and basically it doesn't seem like there's any genetic flow between those two species, at least recently, Um, which I thought was an interesting sort of might as well, if we're doing all these studies, um, might Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And then I think they also did some comparison. They weren't comparing the genetics, but they were comparing the genetic diversity of this population to other small populations, including the Southern resident killer whales, the vaquita, um, the Scottish population of killer whales. Um, and I so, saw, yeah, that was really interesting. And then they did a whole bunch of statistics and they did a whole bunch of complicated genetic things that, um, are definitely outside of our scope of expertise of being able to explain to you. Um, but if you are into it, I think it is like a pretty well, the genetics are confusing if you don't understand genetics, but if, um, 
if you do have like a vague understanding of genetics, it is like fairly well written, or at least you can you can mm-hmm. skim over the parts that you don't understand and still get something out of this article. I found so that was great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's basically what I did for the results and the discussion part of like there's a lot of numbers. Theta's used a bunch, and I'm like I don't remember what that means. And but then you get to the part if you scan through the numbers and you're like, oh, this looks like a paragraph with three sentences and you read that Ooh. and you're like, yeah. yeah, 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 actually. So like a couple of things. So ROH seems like it's a measure of inbreeding. They talk about mm-hmm. ROH a lot. And then theta. Uh, Something to do with population modeling, I think. A coefficient that they can use to sort of guess the effective po- effective population size. Yeah. Um, so the smaller the theta is, the the smaller the effective population size, which is essentially the breeding population. That yes, yeah, so that's what theta. So theta and ROH are similar, or like are the sort of the two main measurements, and they are sort of correlated. Like a strong, a small effective population size will lead to inbreeding. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yes. for like to give some examples of scale, was like values between zero point one and zero point five is for like the overall population of killer whales. And then for the type D, it was in the 0.0001 range. Yeah. So, yeah. And then populations like um, Vaquita are 0.0002, for example. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So it's... Yeah. Not, yeah. not great. Very, very small. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nicole, do you want to talk a little bit about the like conclusions and findings? Absolutely. So there's really two main findings of this article, uh, but there's some really interesting sort of extrapolation from those findings that I thought was was particularly interesting. I'm going to start with the second finding because it was one I didn't expect from the title of the article. So I'll come back to the small population and inbreeding element uh, because the second finding was they were looking at this DNA from these four samples. And I'll also take a quick aside to say like the article, as any good article would do, is quick to point out all of these findings are certainly based on four samples. Yeah, yeah. they are based on four samples. Um, so they are certainly able to change uh in fact actually again just the this is, i love the i love sort of the element of humor inserted into this very very dense scientific article because the last paragraph mm. of the discussion is a little bit of a like stay tuned or keep watch here because at the time that the paper was being in its final revision stage another type likely type d orca stranded near chile and they were able to get DNA samples and will be conducting analysis. So that'll be the fifth sample of type D, but weren't able to do that in the time able to, and like that would require completely rewriting this whole yeah, paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's cool. And I, I love, again, like you start off by calling out the Committee on Taxonomy and you end with saying like, and watch this space. We're going to have more. We're coming for you. <laughs> One type Um, D animal at a time. Exactly. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting that they were doing a sort of like a secondary element of the genome work here was looking for possibilities of interspecies mating, specifically with those pilot whales. Because as we've talked about even in our podcast in the past, there are examples of cross-species mating. And in fact, cross-species mating in a way that challenges the definition I learned in Mm -hmm. high school biology of what makes a species a species, which is that if it mates with another species, their offspring are not able to be viable. They can't have like another generation of offspring. 
And that does not seem to be the case, certainly for cetaceans in, in certain circumstances where, you know, we have the blue whale, fin whale offspring and the doll's porpoise, harbor porpoise crossbreed things going on. So one of the reasons they were looking at this is because physiologically type D killer whales who look very different than other killer whales. I mean, they still have the basic body plan and basic coloration of a killer whale, but they also have a more bulbous melon and uh, a slightly different, like kind of frontal half physiology, Mm -hmm. which looks not ex- not even exactly, not even close to a pilot whale, but looks pilot whale esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could say. Um, and the pilot whales do have an overlapping range with type Ds in the subantarctic. So one of the sort of secondary things they were looking at here is that well, maybe at least somewhere back along the mating genealogy lines, that was that DNA of those pilot whales entered into the type D mating situation into their genome somehow. And that might be partially or fully to explain these morphological differences. No, no. is the short answer. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not so much. So I thought that was cool. Again, just like a really, a very fair observation to make. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've got the samples. Hey, we have, samples of pilot whale dna why not yeah so i thought i thought that was really cool and answer is apparently not again remembering we are looking at four samples yes yes this fifth one could be just all pilot whale dna who knows who knows so meanwhile, the main discussion element of the paper, the main set of results is looking around what are the ramifications of conducting this research and, and breaking these genomes down and doing the DNA sequencing along what does this tell us about population size and long-term effects of inbreeding as well as speciation, though again, they're all still considered the same species. <sighs> so yes. <laughs> So the sort of Coles Notes versions here are, it's very likely that type Ds in a, in the similar way to how here in the North Pacific, residents, bigs, and offshores all have overlapping ranges, but have not mated for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I think, isn't there one of the papers that we've talked about on the podcast before is like DNA sequencing between bigs and residents shows that they haven't intermated in, was it 10,000 years? Something like that. Bigs and, bigs and type Ds were, was, I don't know if this confirms it, but type Ds and bigs were thought to be the least similar to all the other ecotypes mm-hmm. like if you look mm-hmm. at the phylogenetic tree those two are at the bottom and then there's yeah. more splitting after that yes um but what was an interesting finding here uh around looking at the dna of these four type d's was the fact that their genome represents a relatively recent common ancestor with mm-hmm. the other antarctic killer whales mm-hmm. so that's sort of changing what we thought um they don't appear to intermate uh, between ecotypes currently 
but less than, according to this paper, less than about 25,000 years ago or so, or about a thousand generations, there would have been a a more close common ancestor between all of them. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, that's still a long time, but considering what you were talking about, Lindsay, like that, yeah. that the most recent paper before this one, that's changing it a little bit. Mm-hmm, Basically, mm-hmm. in layman's terms, the North Pacific ecotypes split themselves apart way before the Antarctic ecotypes. Yep. Yeah, which is just fascinating because yeah. just like why? But also, why did why did any of species split to, apart? Because these are separate species, and I've decided, and this is how it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's gonna be. Um, yeah, yeah. The other thing with the sort of the genetic bottleneck that basically isolated this population from other um, populations that they remarked on in the discussion is like it's hard to say because it's such a small sample size is like, yes, there was a genetic bottleneck around a thousand generations ago or less than 25,000 years ago. But in terms of the inbreeding is the inbreeding because the population isn't well mixed. And so we're just seeing a limited samples of mm. like these two individuals uh, or these two groups, like the four individuals are, have a high level of inbreeding, but maybe there's the majority of the population is, better mixed or is the inbreeding because of that bottleneck a thousand generations ago um and then not a lot of mixing within that population because they you know they don't um move around that much and like Mm -hmm. they're also their geographic range is like circumpolar in the around the south southern pole but also like in a really specific latitude based on Mm -hmm. the current so it's only between 46 and 62 degrees south basically and that has narrowed over like since the last glacial like since the last Mm -hmm. ice age um uh because of this current so probably like whatever they eat and however they can like out compete other predators in that area they basically so it it's not a very well connected like to get from one spot on the pull to the other you have to go like all the way around and so if they're all just like swimming in a circle and you only mate with the people next to you yeah, in a circle you mm-hmm. like how mixed it is so again like needing to study more individuals across a larger geography yeah the thing that actually was super interesting about their population size and their inbreeding levels what compared to what we know especially mm-hmm. here but also so with the southern residents but also with the scottish ecotype which is also an incredibly small population, Mm -hmm. is that the length distribution of the ROH in the type Ds suggests that they, their inbreeding is a a reflection of long-term small population and not due to um, population decline during the Anthropocene. So it's not based on us getting rid of all the whales and then they have to inbreed because there's only so many of them left. So this Mm -hmm. is more of an interesting thing of like what you were saying is like they're hard to find each other so there's inbreeding, but they're still doing okay. Like yeah. they haven't crashed more because like they haven't failed as a ecotype or species be due to inbreeding, which is yeah. the thing that, you know, yeah. you're taught in class. Well, so really. yeah, it's in- an interesting thing of like this, this species ecotype is okay with the inbreeding levels that they have. Yeah. At the moment. Inbreeding is leading to like a greater divergence from populations yeah. that aren't having inbreeding. So like the mm-hmm. the very small eye patches, etc. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing that was really cool. They talked about with this inbreeding is that the it's similar to lots of recessive gene kind of things or, you know, mutants Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) is that because there's so much inbreeding, that is probably why how their morphology came to be so different is Mm -hmm. that the inbreeding was it was I can't remember what the right word genetic words are, but it just helped move it along so that they had smaller eye patches for whatever reason and a more bulbous melon for whatever reason. And yeah. Yeah. Or like, so that was more of that less pilot whale hybridization. Yeah. 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 Or like if it was a small group of fairly closely related individuals. Yes. Also true. 10, a thousand generations ago. And that has Mm -hmm. led to this population. Exactly. Explain also some of the, like social differences yeah and that like don't who knows also right like with killer whales Mm -hmm. the social aspects of it we know that there's was issues with to look and um when with his albinism or lucidism and stuff like that when if these that small group that did split off was had these bulbous heads or whatever maybe they were ostracized and kicked out yeah and they just managed to survive and yeah Take over everybody's curiosity. Type C's, mm-hmm. who cares? Yeah, <laughs> these guys. They're tiny eye patches. Yeah. And like yeah. one or two of them potentially doesn't even have an eye patch. So the last sort of element of the inbreeding that we'll talk about was just an interesting look, kind of summarizing what we've already said about how it, even though you are taught in school that inbreeding often spells death for a species, these this particular ecotype does not seem to be negatively affected by that. They have some kind of control for for allowing that to not impact their reproductive success in some way. No idea what that was, because based on the genome research here, they seem to be within one of the top inbred mammalian populations mm. in the world, mm-hmm. but whether it's on land or in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so yeah, super fascinating. I would say definitely worth a read. We obviously will put a link in the show notes and also like a great place if you want to learn more about how they do these studies or how they like get to a place of being able to make these kind of conclusions from this data. I think the references are probably a pretty good place to start as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We will clearly include a link in the show notes where you can find the complete article for free. Hooray, science! Free access, yay! And of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the study. So if you have read it, if you've worked with Dr. Foote, if you are Dr. Foote, (laughs) (laughs) if I'm saying your name wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, But we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear what you think about the study. Yes, and if you will join us when we march on the Committee of Taxonomy, <laughs> please let us know. We'll make signs. Amazing. We're just going to find out when their next meeting is. <laughs> Somebody tell us. Um, okay, so before we continue on, we just want to take a moment to talk about how you can support our podcast and everything we do at Whale Tales. You can join us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash whaletales. You can join us for a dollar a month at the porpoise level, $5 a month at the dolphin level, or $10 a month at the whale level. And each level comes with a variety of perks, including polls, thank you postcards signed by all three of us, access to extended interviews or stories with guests. If you are a whale level patron, you have the opportunity to provide Deuce your own fun flipper fact segment on Send Me on the Wildest Goose Chase You Can Think Of, which I always enjoy. 
And our Whale Level patrons also get access to our special Patreon-only podcast, Whale Tales Watches. We have done a couple of these so far. Our latest episode was when we watched Zeus and Roxanne, a really fun romp down 90s lane of dogs (laughs) and dolphins becoming best buddies. But we have a very (gasps) special episode of Whale Tales Watches coming up next month that you will not want to miss. Next week. Next week. This oh, that's week. right. It's this month. <laughs> Just oh my barely. goodness. Just barely. Uh, and all I will leave you with as a little taste is ah. <laughs> Enjoy. Indeed. Indeed. Um, yeah, we're very excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nervous but excited. Let's uh-huh. say that. Um, thank you so much to all of our patrons at every level. You are amazing and your support helps us do all of these things. Ugh, so great. If you aren't able to support us financially, we completely understand. There's still lots you can do to help us out and everything we do here at Whale Tales. You can leave us a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, this will help other people find the podcast. And you can also just tell people you know about our podcast and the fun we are having here at Whale Tales. You can also follow us on social media at whaletales underscore org. And you can send us your feedback so that we can keep making the podcast even better. Okay. Does everybody know what time it is? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. What time is it? It's fun for fun, flipper fact. What time is it? It's time for fun, flipper fact. It's fun, flipper fact time. Yeah, it is. It's time for a fun, flipper fact. Oh, yeah. Man, you need a you need a basketball and some I do. swoopy bangs. I do. Oh, amazing. Thank you for that, Nicole. Oh, you're very welcome. So today's fun, flipper fact is not about type D killer whales. It is, in fact, about long-finned pilot whales. The, hey, maybe I was in your DNA, just going to slide into your DNA instead of your DMs. Um, but no, apparently, according to the research we were talking about today, it is not. But anyway, I thought it would be fun to share a fun flipper fact about long fin pilot whales and specifically their mating behavior, because we actually have not talked a lot about pilot whales, short fin or long fin on the podcast. So note to future self, we will do that because they're really interesting species. But particularly today's fun flipper fact is a quick one and it is about the aggressive mating behaviors, specifically competitive male against male mating behaviors of the long-finned pilot whales. So there's a couple of different published studies looking at and, and documenting cases of highly aggressive courtship behavior and uh, specifically male against male aggression supposedly or, or, or very likely in an effort to show dominance to attract more females. It is well known through some genetic studies with long fin pilot whales that these animals who are very social and can be found in groups as large as a thousand, but more often than not travel in groups of about 150 to 200, they often will see that a male will mate with numerous females in a pod. So not quite a harem, but the male's definitely getting around. And one of the highly aggressive behaviors that is thought to perhaps appeal to that male being able to attract more of those female mates is actually melon bashing. 
So pilot whales will specifically, I'm talking about long fin pilot whales. It is known that short fin pilot whales have very aggressive behavior as well, but hadn't been able to find a reputable source about this melon bashing in the short fins. Who knows? Um, but yeah, the males in the long fin will, they will certainly rake at each other with their teeth, fluke each other, peck slap each other, uh, generally just be regularly aggressive. But one of the really shocking things that they have been observed doing is just ramming full speed into each other's heads. And I, uh, I mean, they're called bulls and cows and calves, and I just can't think of a better example of bullheadedness than just running or swimming in this case, straight into the head of your potential sexual rival. The end. Oh, so cool. Before we wrap up, we did tease our Whale Tales Watches, which is coming out next week. And if you're looking at the calendar, you may be thinking that we'll have some more episodes coming soon. And you will be right. June, of course, Orca Action Month. We are coming at you four episodes in June. Full. More Orca talk. Will it be about speciation? Probably. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I'm super excited. Because everybody loves Ohm, which is what I call it. And yeah, we're going to have lots of fun facts on our socials. And it's going to be Killer Whale Palooza. Again. So many Killer Whales. For the whatever time. Fourth? Well, and for us. So yes. Yeah. So, yes. And so many stories. So yeah. apologies. There is no whale tale in today's episode. Of course, you can always go and read our over 1,200 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories on our website. Uh, but we don't have a whale tale in the podcast episode this month because next month there just might be more than one or two or many. We'll see. <laughs> I thought brings us to the end of our episode today, though, and we would love to hear your thoughts on this or any episode. So please, please, please visit our website, whale-tales.org, and find links to all of our social media handles so that you can drop us a line. You can head to the website to subscribe to the podcast, learn more about supporting us and becoming a patron, and like Nicole said, read over 1,200 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. There's um, a vast number of orca-related stories. Over over 500. Over 500. Yeah, that's what yes. I thought. I was like, not half, but mm, Almost. not very close. Not far Almost. from half. Yes, we do, we do live in a very uh, killer whale area, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's whale-tales.org. Tales like the stories, not tales like the animal. And if you've seen a citation, we would love to add your story to our library. You can click the share link on our website. That'll take you to a form. Or you can just contact us on social media at whaletales underscore org. Or you can email us a voice memo and tell us all about your incredible citation encounter. Finally, we want to acknowledge that we recorded today's episode on the unsuited territories of the Coast Salish peoples and the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations as well as the homelands of the Tawasan First Nation. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We hope you have a whaley great day.